0: You're listening to BNF Podcast, where we integrate actionable interventions, intuitive therapy tools, mindfulness, and technology for today's modern mental health therapist. Each week, we take a closer look at a niche population as it relates to our monthly theme. Each episode is pre-recorded as part of a live continuing education lecture with online CEUs available at mytherapies.org BNF. I'm your host, April Neff, LMSW and Private Practice Therapist. Welcome to today's episode of BNF. Hello again. Welcome to episode two of the BNF podcast. Today, we're going to visit this month's theme attachment as it pertains to the population of children ages three to 10. In my experience, this is where behaviors begin to materialize or at least recognize, especially between the ages of three to five. It might be because they're entering school for the first time or they're entering preschool and they're being put in a more structured environments. It could also be because they're being introduced to new people that are not normally in their life and their social circle. This might be the first time that they're outside of their family of origin on a regular basis. In terms of diagnosis for the purpose of attachment disorder, we will review the behavioral definitions from the Wiley Treatment Planner, the Child Psychotherapy Treatment Planner. This is the fifth edition with the new DSM-5 edition. Behavioral definition, number one, broadened a family through adoption after coming from an abusive, neglectful, or biological family. Number two, consistent pattern of failing to initiate or respond to social interactions in any age-appropriate way. This could be withdrawing, rejecting people. I've seen smaller kids just throw themselves back when the parents try to console them. Um, It could be a general detachment manner towards everyone. It could be refusal to be consoled or cuddled or talked to in a way that helps them soothe. Number three, pattern of becoming friendly too quickly and or showing indiscriminate affection to strangers. Now this is what we see, the more generalized characteristics of attachment behaviors where we see the kid who goes and plays with and maybe leaves with the wrong person at the park and not being able to discriminate between safe or stranger danger. Three years or older and has no significant bond with any any caregiver. Resist accepting care from others, usually being very insistent that he or she does not need help from anyone. Number six, hoarding or gorging food. Number seven, aggressive behaviors towards peers, siblings, and caregivers. Number eight, frequent lying without remorse. Number nine, stealing petty items without the need for them. By age seven, little or no sign of conscious development is evidence. Example shows no guilt or remorse when confronted with his or her behaviors. Number 11, excessive clinginess to the primary caregiver, becoming emotionally distraught whenever the caregiver is immediately out of their sight. Number 12, has experienced persistent disregard for his or her emotions and or physical needs. This could be hygiene, this could be food, this could be something that we normally notice um, in teenagers when they don't want to shower, but as a small child they could even develop a rash and just refusing to clean themselves or wipe. And number 13, has has been subjected to frequent changes in the primary caregiver. That is the one that is the most well known out of all the different ones is, is the requirement is, is they don't attach well because they don't have a very firm attachment with their primary caregiver. So what's this look like when the parents bring the kids in? The concerns the parent may be looking at are best looked through the di- diagnostic criteria outlined in the treatment planner. The family complaints you'll see. When a child's struggling with attachment, it could be parents have all sorts of complaints. It could be, why doesn't she listen to me? She doesn't care. I've tried everything. And they have tried everything. You have to have empathy for parents when they're working with somebody with this uh, reactive attachment. They come in here and they're really at their wits end. They've already tried everything. They've tried to win them with love. Um, If it's an adoption case, they've assumed that they can... Um, overcome whatever difficulties they've had within the first three years but the kids didn't learn to trust anybody so this person it's just a matter of time when you can't trust them anymore (sighs) and my personal favorite is when they start destroying things when they start breaking things it's it shines that they have completely lost control of themselves and they don't they don't know what else to do but they get a lot of attention when they start breaking things and that seems to be the safest way for them to get attention the answers involve parent support, and the parents are most engaged at this point at the intake. My experience is they want to disengage. They kind of want to hand you the kiddo and say, Hey, can you fix this kid? Obviously, their problem, and that's the last thing we want as clinicians. This is a time to encourage them to stay for the session by asking the kid in session whether they would rather have their parents stay for the sessions, giving them that choice, that chance, and normalizing it. Don't just ask them, Would you like mom to stay or would you like grandma to stay? Actually, look at the kiddo and say, you know, a lot of kids want their parents to be in here for this session because they are learning to trust me and they don't know if I'm a safe adult yet or not. So it's totally okay if you want to have grandma stay for the whole session or maybe even next session and a couple afterwards. This time to encourage them to stay for last a child whether they would prefer the parents. This builds trust and it also emp- empowers the child as kids don't often get to make that many choices, and are always stuck with whatever others around them want. This helps by role modeling the interaction to the parents as well, as a way to give the kid choices, and at the same time, retaining control. Um, You can defer choices to kids, and yet still set limits and boundaries. In a previous episode, we reviewed the four separate attachment types, and the way they appear in session. For the purpose of review, they're anxious, fearful, avoidance, and secure. Our goal in session is to bring a child from anxious, fearful, avoidance to secure by role modeling a safe interaction and structure during each session. As a client engages with you, you are best to divide the session into three to four parts, which include the opening or grounding techniques, a review of the week for any of their struggles, problem solving those struggles, and then teaching a new skill, introducing a new skill, and then closing with another grounding exercise. This simple structure can be engaged and modified to meet the needs of your client in the moment that builds trust if it's consistent, reviewed, and respected in the sessions. What this means is, is I I outlined a very, very simple structure of ABC. You start with an opening or a grounding technique. You review what's going on and then problem solve it as you will, without being direct or threatening and then you close again with a grounding and teaching in your skill. If you stick with a format, you're going to help them see that there's ways to have relationships that involve just focusing on that and not exactly bringing in, I hate when I have a session and they bring in like a punishment list and I'm supposed to problem solve out that punishment list. I wanna reframe that as in how can we do better What kind of things can we play instead? What can we do instead? And then we can role play it out. But the last thing you want to do is become another adult in their life that's going to just pull them in and basically yell at them for an hour. No kid wants to go to therapy for that. So let's move on to interventions. And again, I'm pulling from the Wiley Treatment Planner. The first thing it says to do is actively build trust with consistent eye contact and being present with the client in session. Being present can involve unconditional positive regard. Reflective listening and reflecting the client's language right back to them and using motivational interviewing techniques throughout the session right after the grounding work. To complete an interview with the client to gain information in the client's perspective and understand how they experience their life. I personally use the 36 questions app. It's an intimacy accelerator. They made fun of it on Big Bang Theory and they had um, Sheldon and Cooper uh, Sheldon Cooper and Penny sit there and do it and then stare at each other for five minutes. And um, I loved that episode. I thought that was brilliant that they actually role modeled the entire thing. Um, this kind of helps you also understand the kids' values and what they need to. And you need to know their values. If you're a follower like I am of acceptance and commitment, therapy. You're going to want to know what the kid values because whenever they're doing something they don't want, you can always go back to those values and look at how you get closer to what, the, what you do want when you act out and you hurt the people around you. Um, next, it says psychosocial evaluation to determine the strength of the child's stressors and trust in relationships around them. This is looking at who they turn to when they need them who, who can they trust? Who in their world can actually help them get? Because you need a couple of people in your life that are there for you and cheering for you in order to have stability in your day-to-day life. Uh, number four, assess clients' insight into the presenting problem and willingness to work on problems outside of sessions or homework. If they're not willing to make any changes, then they're just going to keep coming back and doing the same stuff over and over and over again. But one of the things you have to do is be able to connect what you're doing in therapy to the outside life. So if you're not doing that when you're introducing the skills, you're going to find that out really fast when they come back next week and tell you the same problems. So what you really have to do is help them connect the dots in session by asking questions such as, okay, so we talked about um, deep breathing. What's the most frustrating part of your day today? Can you try deep breathing there? I want you to think for a minute and imagine yourself really, really frustrated, and take a deep breath with me. How you feel now? Can we try it again? Let's see what happens. Um, Rule out other disorders. I have ODD, ADHD, depression, etc. Um, a lot of your trauma uh, disorders are going to come in here because obviously kids who've struggled with attaching with the first. Uh, three years of their life have undergone some kind of trauma or neglect. Um, Make sure that those things can't be treated and they would alleviate the reactive attachment or it's not a misdiagnosis. Number six, refer family to skills-based programs to work on stress or other problem areas that may be contributing to the child stress. If you're about to get divorced, then um, I'm not thinking that you're focused enough that you can actually give back to the kiddo right now, but if it's just a matter of learning a few skills to help you to understand what it is. So as a clinician, if you can just give a referral to where they can look at this, I mean, I don't want you to be in a place where you're calling out the parent and saying, hey, get your stuff together. But essentially, when you reduce some of the stressors that the parents have, you immediately reduce some stressors you have on the kids. Um, number seven elicit parents and co-joint sessions to be an active part of the client's treatments engaging activities in the home throughout the day that build on the client's use of skills learned in session strategize with them to help them come up with plausible solutions to conflict in the home and build on clients skills. remember how i said they bring you that laundry list of things the kids did wrong this week so when you get that list the best thing to do is to work on those through family therapy by going through and finding a situation where he tore up the room. Well, was he hungry, angry, lonely, or tired? I always teach parents that acronym HALT, and I'm probably getting a little ahead of myself by bringing it in now, but if they can step back and actually think for a minute, what are the kids' needs that are being addressed here? Because all behavior is because of needs. And I have seen rapid, uh, reactive attachment situations where kiddos lose control and there's no stopping them. They're gonna destroy a room for 45 minutes to an hour. And during session, when that happens, we just maintain safety until we can get to a place where a kid can be calm and be talked to. Next, provide education to the parents on attachment and the overall effects of trauma throughout the sessions through check-ins. At the beginning or the beginning of a session, you should be checking in, not just scheduling the next appointment, but checking in on some of the insight you have on where they're at, and maybe what's something that they could be trying right now that might help alleviate some of that behavior because they're coming to you for a solution. Um, Next, process with the parents and authorities in the child's life their expectations. Now, a lot of times we might have to make an adjustment when we're working with a kid with reactive attachment. They're not going to react the way other kids in their lives are just because they don't have that that circuitry just yet. It's gonna take a lot of stress. Reduction is gonna take a lot of trauma work before they can get to where they can trust you and they can trust people around them aren't going to hurt them. So processing what that might look like with parents, giving them a best case and worst case scenario, um, encouraging them when you can, can help them because part of the kid getting stuck is that they're expecting something that they don't have, that they're not going to have. Okay, moving on. Um, Intervention number 10, build trust through consistency and routine, much like the therapy session itself, provide education to the parents at the beginning of the day with a simple routine and reviewing it will build trust with the child. Give the child one thing to look forward to outside of their normal routine if possible in a reasonable time when it will happen. We will get up today and we'll go out to the park after breakfast or we're going to lunch with grandma are good examples. Eleven, showing warmth and affection. To build trust that you're a safe person, you need to consider the two-to-one ratio to begin with. Instruct the parents that a confused child does not trust, and having more positive than negative interactions is the foundation to build that trust, even when a child isn't showing you the positive interactions you want. The ratio interaction needs to be more positive and negative. It needs to be at least two-to-one. Ideally, it could be five or ten-to-one. The baseline for verbal praise needs to start really low, such as following a simple prompt and building from there. One of my personal favorites is a TED Talk or YouTube video where it says we get a gold star if you don't kick me in the face today. Good job. Um, Number 12, sensitivity to sounds. Be aware of your client's sensitivity to sounds and apologize when you make a loud sound. Shutting a door loudly, like some doors are just heavy and it can be triggering. But without quickly, but you can quickly in that moment apologize and role model. Taking a deep breath or letting the client breathe for a moment and ground themselves with your help can start the session in a much better place than just going from there and slamming the door. Number three, alert them to upcoming activities. I used to give my kids 30 minutes. 15 minute, five minute, 10 minute interventions, intervals where I'm like, okay, we're gonna leave in 10 minutes, we're gonna leave in five minutes, we're gonna leave in 15 minutes, and they knew they were gonna have to leave. Part of the daily review and therapy could be mentioning a holiday that's coming up, or an anniversary, or a time of year is just changing, and asking how the client celebrates. If there doesn't appear to be anything on the calendar, I often ask silly questions like, what's new in your zoo? Number 14, going to the park. I love this illusion of choice. And oftentimes in building momentum with the child, remember I said that positive to negative, positive to negative. Um, in building that momentum of positive decisions with the kid, I may offer a choice that isn't a choice. There's an A and a B, so kids go with it. Alan, do we want to race to the swings or do we want to walk? Either way, we're going to the swings. Make sure you explain your choices to the parents who are sometimes confused what's happening and they normally are not understanding why their kid is usually really difficult to transition from one thing to the next and they're walking easily around the playground. They're gonna appreciate this little secret even if they forget it from time to time. 15, speak simply and repeat yourself at least once. There's a reason kids don't sit still for long times and big words don't seem to work the way they do with adults. Kids need concepts they understand and they're not motivated to get to the point where they do. They will do what kids do at that point. You start losing them, you start talking around them, they're gonna look for a way to play. They're gonna look around your room, they're gonna try to figure out what they can get into. If you wanna engage with a kiddo, you need to keep it short and sweet. Number 16, ask the client to be a good leader and show them how to lead. When possible, identify who the kid is bigger to in their household or their life. If they're the bigs, then who's the littles? And encourage them to lead those around them. Ask them what they wanna be when they grow up and look for ways they can grow in skills they might need as an adult. For instance, if they say they wanna go in the military or be a police officer or even be a teacher, We can talk about what their job would be like, what kinds of their skills and days would be like, and then play pretend that they're in that job now and see what happens as far as their confidence when they're pretending, because when they're projecting this positive sense that they're working out in the real world and they're doing something to help other people, you can't help but see them blossom a little bit. Um, Number 17, food insecurity is a big real issue for a child that doesn't have trust. We could see this behavior in hiding food, hoarding food, eating it too quickly, or stealing food, or just being fearful and anxious around mealtimes. The best intervention for this is providing healthy snacks so the kids can have them at any time. A bowl of fruit on the table and having it replenished one or two times a week. Kids have amazingly high metabolism, so when they see that out there, they they might take a little bit of time to get over the idea that food is actually available to them. So I also provide psychoeducation to the parents about what this need is and how we can fill it. The mathematical algorithm for trust is trust is equal to behavior over time. So if every day there's food in the bowl, they will learn over 14 days, 100%, this won't disappear. This applies to all their behaviors, but food, sleep are at the bottom tier needs for safety and low hanging fruit for a therapist. Solve these low tier needs at the bottom of Maslow's triangle leads to the next intervention. Halt. I teach all my parents halt. Hungry, angry, lonely, tired. Before doing anything else, a parent has to stop and assess halt. If all those needs are met, then they're working with a child with optimum compliance. Their brain is on. Otherwise, you need to meet those needs before asking for anything else. You can't ask somebody who's hungry to go and set the table. Truth, this concept really does apply to everyone. No one's at their best when they're hungry, angry, lonely, or tired. Values. So there's this neat intervention called the values card sort. Create Google list out there. There's tons of them that have different values. It could be loyalty, faith, trust, anything. Um, I look for one specifically for teenagers because that usually applies closest to kids. Then I write all those values out on index cards. And then I create three more cards, and I wrote very important to me, important to me, and not important to me on these cards. Then I have kids sort them into piles. No judgment, quick as you can. Go with your gut and your intuition and just sort them. Where do they belong? And then go through those piles and pull off everything on the table except for the things that are very important to me. Then have them look at those cards that are left and have them keep only 10. Then sort those 10 as the closest to you being the most important and the farthest from you being the least important. But those are your top 10. Then I pick them up and I ask them questions about each one of those cards. They could be, why is your faith so important to you? Why is being nice to your brother so important? How did this make your top 10 instead of loyalty? What is a friendship? What what are your friends? Who are they? Do you trust them? Asking questions after they sorted them and gives you a list of their values. Write that down, make a note of it, put it in your charts, have a picture with your phone or with their phone. So they have a list. Those are their values. Those are the things that are non-negotiable in their lives and very meaningful at this point in their lives. And next off, when your client gets really stuck on a problem later in sessions, you can refer back to those values. This is using acceptance and commitment therapy again. When you are really stuck on something, how does it serve you right now? Are you being loyal? Because being loyal is so important to you. I know it's one of your top 10 values. And being a good brother is so important to you. So maybe that's why it hurts so much that you and your brother are fighting right now. Okay, now we're gonna switch over and introduce technology so um in this segment adding technology i really stumbled on this really great resource it's created by i Thrive games and they have this great blog where they're looking to add different ways that we can use gaming and therapy um, it's called geek therapy and it's relatively new but it uses different things that are kind of associated with being a geek it could be superheroes comic books um, Doctor Who, any kind of favorite fandom, as a way to kind of reframe your mind. Um, so what I thrive has done um, is created a list for clinicians that introduce talking about gaming, talking about. Discussing pro-social values that are in games and they've made them and they've created them and they're free on their blog at ithrivegames.org And I really hope they're listening <laughs> um, I'm going to turn back When I look at the aspects of gaming I'm often really delighted that game designers now are listening to parents and others in the community And introducing what's called pro-social points in their games That was something that they had in Call of Duty uh, When they created World War II and I'm just seeing it more often in games, which have features that increase engagement and award points for behaving in a way that brings people towards the value of social interaction. Um, the developers at I Games specifically have done an awesome job curating both a peer-reviewed journal that I'm excited, I'll be getting a copy later this week, and a clinician's guide available for free on their website that introduces us to gaming, just different type of peer-reviewed research and also, just the discussions we can have about games, and about, and just communicating on the level of something that kids really care about. This just really makes me excited working with as many teens as I do in building engagement. Okay, so my closing thoughts. I appreciate you joining me today, and I look forward to interacting on Instagram and Facebook, and my therapies are through the hashtag SaPika Anxiety Therapist and strive to respond to every post. Thank you for joining us. Are you interested in meeting with us live? This month's podcast is sponsored in part by the 2019 KCAP Conference on Poverty. The Kansas Conference on Poverty brings together direct service workers, agency, department management, agency board of directors, volunteers, and anti-poverty advocates from Kansas nonprofit organizations, faith-based agencies, and government offices. Join us at the Capitol Plaza Hotel in Topeka, Kansas on July 17th and 18th in our live workshops. This year's conference theme is working towards prosperity. I really enjoyed this conference. It will be my third year attending and my second year speaking. Each year I discover new resources to add to my referral list and make friends with excellent people doing great things in my state. When you're in the business of solving problems and making change, you sometimes need to recharge your batteries and give back to the other workers. We hope to see you live and in real life and welcome you to our community of change makers. Thanks everybody, have a good day. Thanks so much for joining us on BNF Podcast. Check out this week's blog post for relevant links, resources, and homework. If this podcast helps you or your clients, continue to share our work with colleagues and consider purchasing CEUs at mytherapies.org BNF. Thank you so much for being here and sharing this space with us. Always remember, you are enough. See you next week.